Hey guys, welcome to 100% Creative, where we talk about 50% creative business and 50% random shit. My name is Jen Madigan, I'm your host, and I'm so happy you're here. Let's get to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100% Creative. I'm here with Dr. Terry Murphy, and I'm going to let her kind of introduce herself and give her a little spiel on what she does, who she is, where she's from, all that fun stuff. So welcome, Terry. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Jen. And it's so nice to meet everyone. Just really honored to get to be here. So um, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I have my PhD in clinical counseling, education, and supervision. So I work with clients on like a one-on-one basis through my counseling practice. And then also I'm heavily involved in counselor education and training. So I love sitting with other therapists and helping professionals and really helping them avoid compassion fatigue and burnout to find the skills that they need to be able to have a thriving and sustainable practice over a lifetime. Um, So I'm incredibly passionate about helping the helpers as well as um, directly serving clients too. And so what got you into therapy? Like, did you start out wanting to be a therapist? I know you were in the military, so you can kind of Mm -hmm. speak to how therapy became your path. I was just going to say, you asked, like, did I know I was going to be a therapist? Was I involved in therapy? Hell no. I hated feelings and emotion. And even though I was like a super sensitive kid, we just didn't do emotion growing up. The military was actually a really solid, safe feeling for me. We were much more mission oriented and focused there. And doing was always much more comfortable for me than being until... I had my first baby and I had really severe postpartum depression and I could not figure this out through prayer, through friendship, through the kinds of resources and doing that I'd been used to. I just ran out of steam. I ran out of my tools and I had to get help. And so um, I didn't actually see a therapist initially. I first tried out medication through a reference from my pediatrician. And it wasn't until I had my second baby that I went through a similar sort of experience. And we moved across the country and I was like, medication wasn't even cutting it for me. So I booked an appointment with a therapist and it really changed my life. And through that experience and being home with little kids, I knew I didn't want to go back into engineering again. And so um, I cross-trained. I actually used my GI Bill from the military to go back and get my therapy degree. And really everything from about 2007 on was like this huge 180 in my life after really getting my own help sitting on that side of the sofa. Um, really was so life-changing that I thought, oh, okay, um, this is really something that I would love to be involved in. It's still solving problems, which is still very much the way that my brain works. But it's, it's really more healing or even preventative, like catching things on the front end too, which felt really hopeful to me to get tools into people's hands to help them live, live well, really, throughout all the different areas of their lives. So that's really how I came to therapy. It was not anything I was familiar with other than like stuff you saw on TV. Maybe the TV show Frasier was about the closest that I had come to really knowing what therapy looked like. Okay. I love that, you know, you getting therapy kind of made you want to become a therapist and help people in that same way. That's such a cool, yeah. Cause I like knew your background of, mm-hmm. you know, 
an engineer and being in the military. And then I was like, how did that like translate, you know, cause I'm just like, they're very, very different, but in the same, yes. like how you said, they're also similar. Cause it's like problem solving mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. I would say that's the biggest overlap and that's been core. Like authenticity is my highest value. Um, it's the way that I really, when, like, I'd love to talk about, you know, self-care and compassion fatigue from that point of view, the authenticity I found really is the key. And so finding my why, why do I do what I do? And ultimately it's not just feeling happy or feeling better. That should be the outcome of a healthy system and healthy, like your mental health being well-balanced, but really it's putting tools directly into people's hands, not so that they become dependent on me and have to come to therapy, but therapy ultimately should be like any other thing that teaches you um, skills that you heal, heal like real time in session. And then you can go out into the world in a different sort of way, knowing yourself better, you get to take all of you with you. Mm-hmm. And that is like generation after generation, then like that healing can actually be passed down. And that was like, Oh, like I talk to any engineer, if you could find like a source, if you can get back instead of like symptom reduction, if you can actually get the, to the root of what's causing distress and heal that, that's where all of us want to go. Like, where's the source? Can I get to the source and heal that thing? And then it will really, it'll ripple out into every other thing. So yeah, that's my passion for sure. Yeah. I can tell just by the way you talk about it, (laughs) (laughs) which is great. That's how you want it to be, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. With compassion fatigue, you mentioned it a couple of times, something that I mentioned to you earlier that I wanted to chat Mm -hmm. about, because I know it's a real thing in the therapy profession, but Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on like how it's affecting the world at large right now, because with the year 2020, it's like one thing after the other, we're almost nine months in now. And every other day, it's some new disaster or Mm new, you know, social justice tragedy and like all these different things are just compounding on top of each other. And I feel like it's almost like people are getting numb to it. Like how do we deal with all of this like onslaught of bad news? Like what's your thoughts on that just from a therapy perspective? Uh, I love, I love the way that you're asking this question too, Jen. So I just want to reflect back to you what I hear you saying, which is really the first step, which is first just naming the heaviness or whatever's going on. Like we miss that step sometimes in our overwhelm. Like we go right into solving a problem or trying to figure it out. But what you did is like, I just want all of us to pay attention to that is you just named it. Here's what's happening. This is what we're really experiencing is not only are we in the midst of a global pandemic, but within this pandemic, there are all these variables, all these different moving parts. And we really can't resource ourselves We can't reach to the things that maybe we typically would do that care for ourselves because we're in a very different world. And if it's short term, meaning like one stress cycle, like it's just a week or a month and we knew that was it. And then we bounce back to regular life, which is how I think all of us are a big majority of us approach this pandemic, me included was like, it's just a season. I can do anything for a month, you know, and then we'll be right back to the way that things are going to be. And yeah, it'll be different, but it'll be fine. And then kind of that, oh, this is a very different world. It's like we don't have all of the things that we used to have to turn to. So for example, um, the gym where I used to work out wasn't just about physically moving my body. I had a group of men and women 
who I was close to, that we went to the same Monday, Wednesday, Thursday class every single week at the same exact time. And we would check in and it was all those moments in between of like, how's your wife or how did that job promotion go? Like that corporate sort of, you know, collective community check-in that that was really more to me than even the other things we were doing. And then we would like encourage each other and cheer for each other and those kind of things. So I lost a lot, you know, I had to grieve the loss of that class. And then there wasn't another thing that could really take its place because of this physical distancing that we're having. There really isn't a group of people that I could hang out with. And I'm not even the most extroverted person in the world, but that couple times a week for that one hour, I knew that there were going to be a group of people that we mutually cared for each other. I wasn't always the caregiver, nor was I always the one receiving care. It was a mutual relationship, which we know as human beings, we thrive when we get to be a multiple role. Like we get to show all the different facets of who we are. And what I'm seeing here in the pandemic is a million different ways that we're losing parts of ourselves too. We get one facet, maybe two or three, you know, but we've lost all of these other pieces of ourselves. So the grief is like out there in the world, but I think it's also grief for ourselves. And then we can't care for ourselves the way that we used to. So there's just a lot of different ways that we're not sure about. And in the unknown, like that wears on us too. It's like, we can do anything if we know what to expect, Mm -hmm. you know, if there's some sort of structure to it. But, you know, when I was in the military, one of the things that they taught us explicitly was if you want to make someone crazy, change the rules all the time, just keep changing them and don't do it with any sort of regularity. It's called psychological warfare because our brain runs on automaticity. It batches things together. Like it's why we really like to eat the same foods on certain days or like have breakfast at the same time or go to the same class or drive the same way home from work is it's the most efficient way that our brain works. And so when we're messing with things all the time, you can't ever actually get all the way back to baseline and rest. We're always in a a slightly heightened to moderate to maybe even severe, depending on what you brought with you into pandemic, higher level of anxiety just hangs around all the time, kind of like secondhand smoke. It's just hanging in the room all the time and we can't quite get rid of it. So there's always a part of our brain going, not safe. This is not safe. I'm not quite so safe, which by itself would, would, tend towards leading to burnout. But we can usually overcome that if we get either the world makes more sense or we find ways that we can amp up our self-care. Okay. That was very lot of, lot of words. <laughs> I feel like it's just so interesting to listen to you talk cuz you know, you come from a very unique perspective being a therapist and and just the way you said that I was like, yes, 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 like the whole time like nodding <laughs> like that's exactly what I feel. Like that that makes so much mm-hmm. sense. You know, um, I think I read an article earlier on in the pandemic talking about like why am I so exhausted? You know, I I'm not doing anything, I'm not leaving my house, or when I am, yeah. you know, I just feel so tired. And it basically talked about how, yeah, everything your brain thinks you're like in danger. It takes so much more mental energy to go about normal tasks that you'd be on kind of like autopilot for. And now you're like constantly assessing, like, am I six feet away? Is that person wearing a mask? They just coughed. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so do you know that feeling? Have you ever watched like a really scary movie that's suspenseful? You know, that feeling in your body where that whole hour and a half, two hours, you're like, 
tense and your body's coiled and you're just waiting that around any corner, the bad guy's going to like pop out and get you. That's what living in a global pandemic is like. We're all in the middle of a scary movie, but we don't know when it's going to end. We don't know what the bad guy is or where it's going to pop out. So like, you know, I'm a mom. I had to make this decision about whether to send my kids to school or not, which typically is a no brainer. You know, like maybe there's a couple of things we're deciding, but now I'm like, oh, this is life or death where before it was more, I have the privilege that it's a convenience decision, you know, and now it's not, you know, it's such a different choice. And so the agony and the sort of depth of processing my partner and I had to go through the conversations we had with our teenage kids about back to school, none of that existed, not even close to it last year. So there is no like simple, straightforward decision. Like I go to Kroger and think, did I sign my will? Mm. You know, like no one should have to think about that kind of thing in everyday life. It's like, we're living at war, but we can't see it. It's invisible. And our brain really messes with us around stuff like that. It's super similar to what helping professionals. And really, I think all human beings go through when we start to have this sort of burnout fatigue feeling a lot of it is from this invisible sort of thing. There's not an actual lion sitting in your kitchen that you can get rid of. That would actually be easier and make more sense to our brains. So part of our job, I'm going to take it all the way back to the way you shared the very first step. If you are feeling overwhelmed is to first name it, right? I'm stressed, you know, I'm overwhelmed, I'm maxed. And so period, end of story, that's just the way it is. And then just kind of sit in that experience, you know, and then there is something that we can do from that point. But what we tend to do, or maybe I should speak for myself is I tend to first go right to denial. It's my most favorite coping mechanism be like, this is fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. This is normal. This is okay. I'm just going to do what I always do. I'm going to get up and have my coffee. I'm going to make some bullet checklists because I love checking things off on task list. I don't know. It just makes me feel really good. And this is going to be fine. And then I'm like, go into guilt and shame when I'm actually not okay. Mm. And that's one of the loops that happens that can really fuel compassion fatigue because there's no space then for my humanity to show up alongside what's actually really happening. Sure. You know, super normal to have periods of distress as a human. Yeah. So, you know, being a therapist and not only struggling with compassion fatigue as just a human living through this Mm-hmm. Life and this year in particular, um, like how does that affect therapists? And I know that you have a mastermind that you've created to help therapists and have a yes. community. And like, can you explain a little bit about that for anyone who might be listening yeah. in the therapy world? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. So, um, as a therapist and a, a helping professional, we're taking care of everyone in the middle of this. So people are, it's like a double sort of dose. Sometimes it's like, we have our own experiences, like me, my kids, my husband, but then when I go to work, I'm helping other people deal with the stress of this on top of it, which, you know, mental health professionals are at risk for secondary trauma, you know, um, especially if we're not really processing through this. So, um, can I be a nerd for just a second? I'm going to just like slight rabbit trail, but I promise I'll come right back. So when I say trauma, all that I mean is something happens and it's too much too soon to be able to fully process it right there in the moment. So what happens is that those bits of trauma get stored physically in your body for later, kind of like 
when you go to dinner and your meal is too big and you wrap up half of it to take home for later. That's exactly what trauma is like in your body. It was too big of a meal for me to digest in this moment. So I'm just going to store it in my body, which is why you, when you do then go through something else later and you feel like you're overreacting, it's because this other experience is coming up and you have a little extra space to process. So your body's like, sweet, unload the old trauma. And it just unloads it from your body. And then more is coming up than what's happening in this moment because you have the capacity now to be able to process it. Interesting. So can I just ask a quick question? So is that kind of like, of course. you know, I always call it like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, you know, someone didn't unload the dishwasher and it's just like, you just overreact, but that's the, the secondary trauma coming up. Cause it's like, Oh, they're processing some stuff emotionally and there's some extra space there. Okay. You're okay. like, yeah, because my dad also never listened to me. That's what happens. It goes all the way back or like, you're just like, you know, yeah, exactly. Okay. That's, a, that's perfectly said. So that's why when we go, there's, there's really no such thing as an overreaction. All reactions make sense. It's the story that we're not clear on yet is we don't have the whole context. So that all that means usually is we just need to zoom out a little bit more and so that we can hold your whole story. Like all of my clients, and I really do believe this, 100% of them make sense once we understand what their story is. Every behavior, every emotion, all of it starts to make sense. And then we can start to have so much more compassion for ourselves and others when we start to understand that all of this is about our story, every single piece. Um, But the problem is a lot of us didn't really have fully accepting, secure holding environments when we were young. And so we didn't know what to do with all of this junk. You know, and so then we get to be adults and we're like, great, now I've got all this luggage of old crap to unpack because I couldn't unpack it then, but I'm going to unpack it now. And the beauty, I'm trained in attachment theory and attachment science is what I'm super connected to. And what we know from attachment theory is that the brain it has neuroplasticity, meaning that you never outgrow your ability to form new neural pathways, new connections in your brain, meaning that it's never too late to become securely attached so that you can unpack all of this baggage and have all of this freedom to operate in more safe ways so that you overreact less and less and less because you're letting the steam off as it's happening and processing more real time. So the reason I'm talking about that is compassion fatigue is almost, it can be super traumatizing. Like it can happen in a moment, you know, like if a client like um, has a horrible incident that you're overhearing and processing with, or they complete suicide or there's some sort of major event, it could happen in a moment, but more likely what tends to happen is over time, you're, you're not making enough space to totally clear out between sessions or between days or after a period of stress. And so it builds and builds and builds until you've burnt all your reserve energy and compassion for yourself out. And then you just have nothing else to give. And then typically what happens is people leave the field or your body gets so sick, your body physically breaks down and you can't show up for work in the way that you did. You have to take like a sabbatical or a break or mentally you start having anxiety, depression, trauma, sort of symptomology um, that then demands that you do that. Or some people act out with like drugs, alcohol, sex, like the typical sort of human coping things that people turn to when you can't quite, you know, turn to people or use healthier sort of coping strategies. 
So we certainly can help people with that. But if we want to be preventative, which feels super helpful, not just for therapists, but for everyone. But if we want to be really preventative on the front end is, do we know the signs for our unique selves when we're starting to store things in our body instead of being able to really fully process and let them go? Am I resourced and stabilized enough? Like, do I have a wide buffet of things that I can pull from to help build myself up? And are, are they all requiring me to either pay money or to work really hard to do them? Are there other things where I can count on other people, count on other resources, have some free things, you know, white space in my schedule. I think having a variety of things tends to be what helps people the most. And I would say too, especially in this global pandemic, that even the most introverted of us, the people who need the most downtime still need more socialization, more than we think that we need because our brains are mammalian. We only function best when we are around other mammals that you, it's almost like amino acids. You don't have all that you need. You need to eat foods to fill up and make sure that you have a complete range or take some multivitamins. We're the same emotionally that you have the ability to process all of your emotions, but we are actually meant to be in community with other people and that our mental health suffers when we aren't around other human beings, that that in and of itself is the first thing I sort of ask, how's your community? What's your community look like? Who do you turn to in moments of distress? If you had a really hard session, who would be the voice that you would need to hear that could actually calm and soothe that feeling inside? What happens to your body after you've made that kind of call, after you've talked, after you've seen someone and does it help? And if that's not enough, you need another thing. Like I do run and cries. I know we've talked about that before where I, if I really am having like high intensity emotion, like anger, joy, excitement, something that's at a higher range, I know the only thing that's going to help me is to run as hard as I can while I actually cry. It's physical. It's like the emotion turns into liquid and pours out of my eyes. And I'm just like either not listening to anything if I'm angry or if it's joy or excitement, I have a playlist on Spotify, this one playlist that I only listen to if I'm in need of an emotional kick. It's the only time I put it on. And if I'm super down or if I'm super up, it's like more in the extremes. And then I go into the woods and I run and cry. And then that starts to regulate. And then I have the capacity to reach out to another human Mm. and then be able to regulate together that way. And that's how our brains are the healthiest and happiest in those moments. Yeah. So for someone who maybe is in the therapy world working, um, and is your, your mastermind, is it just for therapists, like social workers, not like part, you know, I don't know how different that role. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. So I actually didn't know the difference between therapists, counselors, social workers, psychologists, and psychiatrists till I got my PhD, not even Mm -hmm. in my master's program. So that's a common that's a totally common thing. And sometimes the terms are like interchangeable, like therapist and counselor feel like, but they're actually separately licensed. So they're not technically the same thing. That sounds, um, that sounds so funny, but, um, yeah, my mastermind is for therapists, counselors, social workers, nurse practitioners, anyone that's doing client care, um, in an emotional mental health sort of capacity. It's niche in that way. Um, and the whole purpose is this. So um, part of it is business development, how to build a sustainable business where you don't have to work yourself 80 hours a week to do that, how to outsource things, which I've actually learned a lot from you about. It's been the most amazing 
thing in the world. Um, it's about compassion, fatigue and burnout, how to avoid that, how to really build a thriving community because, um, therapists, it's interesting. We work with people all day, but it's not the same thing as a two way relationship because our clients are not supposed to hold our cognitive load. They're not supposed to help us. And so it's an interesting thing to work all day with people and then to still feel like you haven't talked in a two-way sort of way with anyone. Um, so there's still very much a need, maybe even more so to counterbalance the giving and the caretaking to actually receive comfort and care, um, which that's the big thing. And it's the hardest thing typically for therapists to do. We are much more comfortable and maybe I'll speak for myself. I am much more comfortable in the role of caregiver than I am in the role of receiving care, but that's my work. It's my growing edge and it is the thing that actually helps me to feel whole in these moments. As much as I resist it, it's really, that's the thing that helps me to feel so much better. It's a humbling place to be and it's a really good place to be for mental health pros. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that. So you mentioned outsourcing, which obviously is like my first love. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's like one of those addicting things. Like once you start doing it, you're like, what else can I get rid of? Can I just hire Uh, to just go out into the world? Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, it's yes. Yes. I have. Yes. I have strong feelings now about it. And even though I resisted it for like 10 years almost. So what do you, what do you think the resistance was around? Oh, it's, listen, I'm a mess. This is about to embarrass me, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, So first of all, it was like a worthiness issue, to be honest. Like it feels shameful. I come from a long line of farmers. So we just go into the field and work until we die. Like if Aunt Pearl just doesn't come in today, she lived a long and healthy life. She's out on a tractor somewhere. We should go get her body, you know, and bring it back in soon. So like it was drilled into me from a young age that it's on you unless you're dead you should be working. Those are your only options. It's an on-off switch. It's not like a dimmer switch of like multiple effort levels. You are 100% full tilt working or you are dead, passed out, are so sick you cannot move your body. So just imagine how long people in my family tree lived <laughs> at that sort of <laughs> breakneck speed or the kinds of diseases and stress and that sort of thing. So, so that's it. I have very deeply internalized messages that I received about doing things on your own. Mm -hmm. Uh, so really wrestling with that and, and looking at that and going, is that actually what I believe to be true about myself? Like what's therapy actually, it's not doing things on your own. You're actually forming relationships to share the cognitive load, Mm -hmm. to be able to heal And I fully believe in that. And that actually became the doorway in for me personally to be able to start considering outsourcing, that having help, someone to share this load with me, to brainstorm, to think about how to best help people would actually benefit all of us. It benefits the person who's my VA now. It benefits me more. I have more time for my family and more white space, which helps me to actually be more creative so that I can do the things that are actually my sweet spot, my zone of genius instead of the stuff that makes me want to throw my body out of a tall window onto something sharp, you know, which is where I was. So that was one piece. The second is um, because I'm more on that visionary side, I found it very difficult. It's taken me like a month to even begin articulating what would be helpful to offload, Mm -hmm. which is part of my growing edge too, is how do you say it clearly? Um, And what I realized from my VA is I don't have to say it perfectly. This is a relationship. So we can do a lot of back and forth and actually get questions, which I didn't know. 
until I started doing it, that that would actually be more like ping pong than like, I say something, put a message in a bottle, sail it across the lake to him. Like it's actually much more an ongoing relationship that's become really fun. Yeah, totally. And I think that's kind of what a lot of people feel like they think, oh, well, I'm like, I don't know. They think of like corporate structure, I guess. I know, like a hierarchy. And you send it to the intern or the little like worker bees and they go to their manager if they have questions, but it's kind of like a very distant relationship where actually a VA is like having a teammate, you know, they're there to support you. You're there to support them by giving them work that they love to do. Um, So it's like, yeah, it's a symbiotic, I don't know if that's the right term, relationship where yeah, it's like a conversation. It's a relationship. It's a, they want to help you succeed because then they succeed and vice versa. So I think that's a common thing. And also the guilt or the shame of like, I can't do it all myself. I'm from a farming family as well. I mean, I have a great uncle who is in his nineties, who still is like always trying to help my dad do farms. Yes. 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 Go watch Wheel of Fortune or something. (laughs) I would rather die. Yeah. It's like, you know what I'm talking about. It's deeply entrenched, right? Yeah. That work has been drilled like deep into me. So yeah, it's that common question too of like, well, if I'm giving away my work to someone else, what am I going to do? But I love that you touched on that. Like it gives you white space. It gives you room for more creativity. Mm -hmm. It gives you that space to be a visionary, you know? Yes. Well, and then I felt guilty that I need so much. I call it stare at the wall time. My friend Caitlin Curtis used that phrase before. And I was like, oh, that's totally what it is. Like time where I'm not on a nap. I'm not in a meeting. I'm not in a session. I'm not in my mastermind. Like I'm just doing literally nothing. And I feel like my brain just bounces around to the most random places. But then after it's done all that, almost like the same way my dog runs around in the dog park when we first get zoomies. (laughs) And then he's like, then we can like play or learn new things or whatever. But it's almost like my brain needs time to do zoomies mm-hmm. and I can't be focused on any other thing. It's like, it has to do zoomies so that then it can actually imagine and start connecting dots like back in my subconscious somehow. And it's like, I really would not have the space to do it if I didn't have a VA. Like it really already, you know, already has been very different. Yeah. I mean, it's even like, I think about you know, I get my best ideas when I go on walks or if I take a long shower or, you know, have time to journal mm-hmm. in the morning. And if, you know, cause I even have an assistant as a VA, I have an mm-hmm. assistant and I, I, was I love it. Photography, but like, I, you know, I need mental space too. And if I'm putting out fires or, you know, answering all my own emails, plus other people's, but, you know, it's like, I have to also delegate my energy and, and having mm-hmm. an assistant helps me do that. It allows me to take yes. on work and do the things that I uniquely can do or that mm-hmm. I love and, you know, gives her an opportunity to, you know, she's a college student. So earn some money, learn, you know, a little bit about what this world looks like and sort of virtual assistant, online marketing, that type of thing. And so I feel like it's, yeah, it's like a win-win, but it's like getting people across that finish line to just like go for it. It feels hard sometimes. So yeah, I wondered like what my was. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I got to hire someone who's in grad school to become a therapist. So then, you know, he's getting to see behind the scenes. Like this morning I called a client back to book, like a potential client wanted to know if they could book with me. And I've just recently raised my rates. And so sometimes people, 
you know, there's like some questions and stuff about what therapy is going to look like. And so I just let that client know, Hey, my VA and I are going to both call you this morning. And they were like, sweet, like no pushback, none of that kind of stuff. And so we just called together and it was so cool. Cause then he's going to actually do this in the future for me. So I needed him in to listen to everything and ask questions, that sort of thing. And then we got off and we staffed it together. It was like part of our meeting before we went on and talked about some other things. And we were just talking together about that. And it was so cool. Cause then he was like, Oh, that's how you close. Like, that's how you talk about things, you know, how long did it take you to do this? And why did you say this piece? And it was so beautiful because I know he's going to launch a practice in just a couple of years. And so he's going to actually get to have all these skills when it's time for him to go and do it. And so there was part of me that was like, this is also helping him. Like, this is like you said, it's mutually beneficial. It did feel like a symbiotic relationship too. And then my clients I know are going to be well taken care of because while I'm in session, he can be talking to them or booking things or moving things around and going to the back end of scheduling. And because he's in this training, he gets ethics. You know, I know that this is going to be secure. It's just, it really does feel exciting. And then he's able to make some money while he's doing this. Cause I think he probably would have been doing these sort of things for free, but like he deserves to be paid. I think that don't even get me started on therapy interns should be paid. That's a whole other, <laughs> the whole other topic for a whole other day, but yeah, it's just, like, <laughs> it's so fun. And then now he even had some ideas. He was like, I heard you talk about this thing. Why aren't you talking more about that? I saw all this engagement around this one thing. Why are we not talking more about that? And it was so cool because it had never even crossed my mind. Like I've already moved on to think about some other things, but then he's thinking about our community, you know, and that sort of contact. So it was like, oh, this is like, he's even seeing stuff that I miss because that's his strength. He's much more of that integrator sort of piece too, naturally. And I just love it. I love that piece. It's been really fun. Well, and I think that's so interesting too, that you're like, he's on calls with me and that's going to be something he can do by himself in the future. And I think about entrepreneurs, particularly like solo um, entrepreneurs who hesitate on hiring a team, even if it's someone, you know, just to make sales calls for you or make appointments for you, or even just having a Mm -hmm. software that does that. So you're not the one constantly emailing back and forth. And I don't know why, because like, when you think about it, like I worked at a hair salon at the desk, like people call the front desk. They don't call the stylist to make the appointment. Same for the dentist. Like you don't have your dentist's cell phone number. You're not calling the dentist to see like when they're free. So yeah, like it's just that resistance piece with entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. just so interesting to me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Listen, I was thinking about this this morning. So I knew we were going to talk today. I have this dear friend named Dan when we lived in Los Angeles and he was a writer and wrote on TV shows and stuff. And so people were always contacting him for gigs and writing things. So he had this assistant named Ethan that, and he would be like, just get in touch with Ethan. Well, we found out like two years later that he made Ethan up. He was both himself and he was Ethan. And this is like a known thing. Now I love this story so much um, because people would treat Ethan like however they would treat him or he would like be the heavy or do this scheduling and stuff and not get into all the writing details so that when people then wanted to talk directly to my friend, Dan, it would be a different sort of conversation. And so he, even though he did all of that work himself, even just the fact that there were two different ways to relate helped him solve a massive amount of issues with all kinds of people um, who were trying to get in touch with him for gigs. Isn't that fascinating? So funny. I have a similar story about a photographer. Do you really? 
they basically made up an assistant because they didn't want to be the heavy. They didn't want to be saying like, Hey, you haven't paid your invoice. You owe me. This person's not going to per their contract is not required to show up. Like if you don't pay, but like it was her the whole time. I love it because there is a mentally, there is a different relationship that people have, but if you're the one and the same person, like that was one of my least favorite things. Actually, the first time I ever hired a business coach was to deal with some of the negativity around voicemails and scheduling and the weight, the pressure of all of that. Like that part felt so much more overwhelming. I just wanted to go to session and get to focus on my job. So I ended up paying for this uh, medical records management system. It's called Simple Practice and I love it. Uh, not an ad, by the way, um, but <laughs> we'll take sponsors like, though. <laughs> we will take it. We will take it. Um, yes. Any sponsors come on it, but it's, um, it's amazing. So it completely got rid of the emailing back and forth. It dispatches everything and all my clients can schedule themselves online. Now they do not have to come through me, but now what I realized is there's still this sort of area that bogs me down. And so then my assistant's taking over that area. So that's why he was on the call with me. And then that frees me up even more to just be able to show up and to do the part that I'm really good at, the part that I love so much. And I still get to do direct client care, which I think will always be a part of my work. Um, it's the relational piece that feels so good to me. The money and scheduling and those things are essential because this part doesn't get to happen without that part. But I don't want to do that part if I have the privilege to not do it. And here's the other thing. It's not that expensive. When I look at it, I would give up. I didn't have to, but if I still went to Starbucks as much as I used to, I could just give all that up. And this is way better than that. And it's also this person I can count on. It's a real human being who I care about, who I know cares about this work. And it really does feel like we together are solving problems instead of it being hierarchical sort of corporate. I I didn't realize that's what it felt like to me until you named that. But that's exactly what my fear was. I didn't want to be some mean, hulking, hovering, confusing boss, employee relationship kind of thing where this person was like afraid of me or that I had to manage the heck out of someone, which is not, I did not get into this business to do yeah. That, but this feels more like an ecosystem. Like he can bring anything to the table and we can just talk about it. And it just feels so much easier than I thought. There's this flow that naturally is starting to emerge just in conversation that I didn't even realize, you know, until we got into it, what it was going to be like, but I won't go back. Like this is going to be a part of what we do. And in fact, I actually am like, I want to find ways to actually get even more hours, like actually up his hours or hire someone else at some point to be able to help us out with different things. Like I'd love to hire someone to do a lot more social media and writing and that sort of thing. Um, That would feel really good. Like now I'm actually like, Ooh, what else? Exactly. Like what you said, what else can I do? Like my husband and I were like crying upset over trying to hang a dang TV to our, over our fireplace. (laughs) And I was like, I have an idea. Let's outsource this. We are not handy people. We don't know what we're doing. Like I can't even find a stud. I have a feeling that you probably shouldn't hang, you know, a 70 pound TV into some drywall is my best guess. So we just called and hired it out. Someone's going to do it today and they get paid for it and we don't have to get a divorce. So it's like win, win, you know, all around. Seriously, my mind is 
changing around all of this? Well, I think, I mean, we do outsource a ton of stuff. So like I always give the example of like changing the oil on my car. I'm an intelligent woman. I know how to use YouTube. I could probably Mm -hmm. figure it out, but it would take me all day and tons of frustration because it's not my forte, right? Or I can take it to Jiffy Lube or the dealership or wherever you like to go for your oil change, pay the 80, 100 bucks or whatever it costs out of there in an hour while they're working. You can do work on your laptop, read a book, brainstorm, call a friend, whatever. And it's like... But why do we have that resistance when it comes to... I, you're so, the grocery store is nothing but outsourcing. I didn't grow that corn. You know, I didn't check it. So yeah, we're, it's so true. It's like a false sort of equivalency around those things. Like why are some things okay? Some things not. I felt really similarly going back to work, you know, versus being a stay-at-home mom in this county that I live in. It's like the percentage is skewed huge of like women in particular who don't work, don't do any of those things. So even that I wanted to, that I felt really passionate about going back and becoming a therapist, my kids were like four and two when I graduated from with my master's degree to start going back to work. So it was like super weird and super hard and it took a lot of work, but it feels the same as that. Like what my block was, my fear is that I was somehow not going to be a good enough mom if I wasn't a hundred percent laser focused in on my children. And I got to tell you, thank God I wasn't because I don't think my kids would have fared very well if all of this energy was a hundred percent trained on them. (laughs) But it's like the block that I had was actually more about, I want to make sure that my kids know that they can come to me and that they feel safe and secure. But me being home 24 hours a day, isn't the only way to make sure that that happens. Like I could work and still make sure you know, be explicit with them. I want you to tell me, like, let's have an open dialogue. I think the same thing for now, you know, what I'm learning is true about outsourcing too, that there are a million different ways to create white space. You know, I could quit my job. That's an option. I don't want to, you know, I could stop seeing as many clients and just take less income. I could work more hours. Like there's a a whole bunch of other things that I could do to make these variables happen. Outsourcing is just one way. And I found like with me just being one human person in an entrepreneurial sort of work that that has actually been such a beautiful gift to my whole family, actually, not just me, but all, I feel like I have such more capacity to do the things that I love. The only reason I'm able to have enough space and time to do a mastermind now and to help therapists is because I have this outsourcing now that actually opened up time in my schedule which I would only do if I had enough time to really commit to these therapists to help them along. And so this really was one of the reasons I was able to do this other passionate thing that I have. feel so grateful about it. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. So you answered it already. Has that helped you kind of branch out into more of a coaching Mm -hmm. role? So yeah. Um, And then... So we'll kind of wrap up here, but your mastermind, is it still open for applications? Like, or is it something yes. that, well, you know, is it a revolving enrollment? How does that look for people who might be interested yeah. in listening today? Yeah. So um, this round opens September 1st and I'll probably keep enrollment open for the first couple weeks. Um, just if anybody wants to join and then I'm going to close it out just so that we can bond deeply because it's only going to run for three months. And then um, I'll close it out at the end of November, take the month of December off to be with family. And then I'm going to open up a new round of enrollment in January to start the new year again. Yeah. 
because I think this will air mid-September. So enrollment will basically be over for this round, but there's an opportunity to join. Mm -hmm. Anyway, okay. very. And people can apply at any point too. Um, The application's on my website. It's just terrymurphy.com slash mastermind. You can read everything there is about the mastermind there. Um, And you can go ahead and apply. It just would be for the January mastermind. Okay. Cool. And so someone wants to follow you on social media and Mm -hmm. your website kind of already. So where can people find you on online? So on all socials, I'm at Dr. Terry Murphy, D-R-T-E-R-I-M-U-R-P-H-Y. So Insta, Facebook, um, those are the main two places where you'll find me. And Instagram is where I, like, if there's a hangout spot, like if we were having coffee, that would be where we'd be having coffee is more on Insta. I love your Instagram. You always have like such thank cool, you. like a little tidbits. And I learned something. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so, so much for being here today. I, I love talking to you. I feel like even in our conversation today, I had like a couple of light bulb moments and I was like, ah. hey, I really should dive into that a little bit more. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Just like secondhand trauma and literally being able to like point out a time in my life where that came out and I didn't realize that's what it was. Yes. Yes. It's so helpful. And that that's normal, that all human beings have that experience, that shared experience. We just don't typically talk about it. So yeah, I love that. That's, yeah. that's, that's wonderful. That's super helpful. I'm sure everyone else will have <laughs> some light bulb moments as well. Thank you again so much for being here today. I really appreciate Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for having me. 